we live, as most of you know, in a multicultural society, and there, there's many different beliefs all around us, and many religions. Most of them believe in a God. A large majority of them believe that mankind is in trouble and needs to be saved somehow. And most of them think that there is at least some level of, of sort of future judgment based on the choices that we make here on earth. But only Christianity is that Jesus Christ is the key to unlocking all the doors essential to your past, to your present, and to your future. Only Christianity claims Jesus as the one mediator between God and people. Only Christianity claims Jesus as the answer and the only real hope of salvation. A salvation is based on grace and mercy that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A salvation that has got nothing to do with our own goodness or our education or even our self-effort. But of course, there are many people who would disagree with everything I've just said. In fact, many who would struggle to believe any of that. So this morning, I want to look at why we should consider Jesus in this way. What was it about him that set him apart from every man who ever lived? A man who was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth by Mary and Joseph. For the first 30 years of his life, he seemed to live as a, a carpenter, following his family tradition. However, at the age of 30, he becomes a rabbi who taught with such incredible authority, healed the sick, cast out demons with such power that no one could ignore him. However, although many people loved him and even followed him, there were many others who hated him in equal measure. And John 1 is one of probably the most well-read passages over this Christmas season. And it gives us just this wonderful insight into who Jesus really is. Now, I planned to preach on verses 1 through to 18. Truth of the matter is, I got to verse 2, and that was it. So that's where we are today. But I'm going to read the passage to put into context for you, and then we're going to have a look at those first couple of verses. So we're in John 1, and it starts here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John was born, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So those first two verses begin again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now notice the paradox going on here, that the word of God is God, and is with God. He is God with God. And if that doesn't make your brain ache just a little bit, you haven't thought about it long enough. We might say that the word is the God with God who speaks God. And to begin to to what John is saying here, I think it's helpful for us to just first of all define the term word. The Greek term logos, by the way, it's the only Greek I know, but the Greek term logos is translated into English as word. However, the Jewish people in the first century, logos meant the spoken word, but with an implication of its, with this sort of um, implication and its meaning which emphasizes a person being involved in the communication. Now, of course, anybody who knows their Bible reasonably well will be aware of the similarities in John chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which begin in the beginning. And certainly the Jewish readers would have connected the word in John 1 with the creative activity of God in Genesis chapter 1, where God spoke and things came into existence. So for them, Logos, word, would describe the personal, creative power and activity of God. It is word in action. But for the Greek readers, well, logos was something slightly different. It was reason or it was rational thought or discourse. And for them, it describes the order or the reason of this world that gives the world its form, that sort of makes up the very soul of man. It's also where we get the English word logic from. So when you put these two meanings together, we can understand word as the personal, rational source of power and action in creation. And there seems to be little doubt that John chose this term word very carefully because he wanted to appeal to both the Jew and to the Greek alike and to convey truth to both groups of people. It's worth mentioning that in the Old Testament, the word of God is describing God who in his powerful and effective action is involved in creation, in deliverance, and in judgment. 
It's the Word of God who gives revelation and prophetic understanding to His people. It's also the phrase, this phrase, Word of God, that was used when the Greek Old Testament was read in the synagogue as a replacement for the divine name of God as a mark of reverence. Because the speaker required an alternative to express the unmentionable name of God. So holy, so holy, so holy is his name. The word of God is God himself in his creative action. So as John begins here in verse 1, he doesn't speak, however, of the word of God, but he speaks of the word who was with God and who was God. And as we already said, the link is definitely there into Genesis. It's deliberate. It is undeniable. But what's actually going on here in John chapter 1 is something different. You see, the beginning of Genesis is an event. It's creation. It's God speaking and the world being formed. But in John 1, we have, as Augustine puts it, a beginning that has no beginning. With me? A beginning that has no beginning. John is telling us how things have always been for all of eternity. For John, the word is revealed in the man, Jesus Christ. So John mentions Three things about Jesus as the word of God in the opening verses of the gospel of John. And they are here to help us, I think, just to consider Jesus this Christmas time. First is this. Jesus Christ shares God's eternity. In the beginning was the word. Jesus was in the beginning. However, by definition, God has no beginning. So what does this mean? As we look back to that moment of creation, to that to in the beginning, we may have some vague notion of God existing before time, but it is just that, some sort of vague notion. And John's point here is that we need to begin to consider Jesus Christ at the very boundary of human understanding because he shares God's eternity. He was with God in the beginning. He was in existence prior to even the first act of bringing this universe into being. So although Jesus lived within time as a human being, he was not bound by time. And we must not confine our thinking to what man or science can rationally measure and understand. Jesus predates existence. Athanasius puts it like this. There never was when he was not. Just think about it. There never was when he was was not. And however far back you see the beginning of time, whatever model you employ to describe the origins of this universe, according to John, Jesus was present, he was Lord, he was God at that very moment and in that very event. This has got major implications on the way in which we understand God. 
Since Jesus is the eternal word of God, and since Jesus and the Father are one, it's John 10, verse 30, and anyone who has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father, John 14, verse 9, and because God has never changed, he's never evolved, he's never needed to, and he never will, God is always like Jesus. Jesus Christ was always at the heart of God. He shares God's eternity. Which also has implications on the way in which you understand God's sovereignty in calling men and women to himself in salvation. The God who chose you before the beginning of time to save you is not prior to Jesus Christ. In other words... There's no God who stands behind Jesus on the day of judgment who's going to say to you no when Jesus says yes as you've embraced him as your Lord and your Savior. And listen, you can be absolutely sure you have complete certainty and confidence that you are accepted by God because Jesus shares eternity with God. Second thought is this. Jesus Christ was eternally with God. So John goes on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Here the word with means towards God, face to face with God, in the company of God, at home with God. And there's this close, this personal nature to this relationship, but there's also a clear distinction here of the word in respect to God. Creating the idea that Jesus is in eternal fellowship with the rest of the Godhead, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Commentators think that the first time the word God is used in these verses, in verses 1 and 2, refers to the Father, the first member of the Godhead. The third Time, the word God is used referring to the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. However, the second time that God is used, it means deity. Indicates the indivisible, divine nature of the word sharing with the Father and the Holy Spirit. To put it simply, Jesus was and Jesus is eternally at home with God. Third thing. Jesus Christ is one with God. The phrase that John goes on to, the word was God, unambiguously and definitively affirms the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God. He is God, the Son, and one in Godhead with the Father. The thing is, John could have chosen any word any other word for God. But by choosing the one that he does, he makes the point that there is no distinction at all between God and the Word and the Father and the Son. They are equal in the Godhead and therefore worthy of all honor and of all adoration. And John clearly states the Word was God. And so in doing so, he creates a huge problem. Because at this point, we are confronted with the profound mystery of the Trinity. 
So John's gospel begins with one of the most difficult doctrines of Christianity, the Trinity. When John describes the sameness of the Father and the Son after previously indicating that they are also different, he raises the problem that the early church accepted but actually took a few hundred years to resolve. The Bible makes it very clear that there is one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 1 Timothy 2.5 for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. But the Bible also clearly states that the Father is God, that Jesus Christ is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, both here in John chapter 1, but also elsewhere across the Bible. I haven't time to go into all the references to this morning. Alongside this, the Bible also describes the divine characteristics and the attributes of all three persons in the same context. So faced with the indisputable truth from many biblical passages, the fourth century church eventually formally described the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as something like this. Three, uncreated, eternal Co-equal persons coexisting in or sharing the same indivisible divine nature. Therefore, each person is fully God, possessing equally the same divine attributes because each share is equally the same nature. Yet each person is equally, is eternally distinctive. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. In short, there is only one God, but this God is three distinct persons eternally coexisting in one divine nature. And if you're finding that difficult to understand, don't worry, you're not alone. Think about it this way. Shouldn't the God of all the universe, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who is Lord over all, shouldn't he be beyond our description? He is God and way beyond even the very cleverest of human brains. So as you come to him, you come by faith, knowing that throughout the centuries the church has upheld an under, this understanding of the Trinitarian nature of God as a faithful description of what the Bible teaches. I also find it very assuring that there are minds here much, much greater than mine will ever be that are willing to acknowledge their limited grasp of God, leave room for the possibility of the transcendent greatness of God exceeding their understanding. It's through the eyes of faith that we get a faint glimpse of the majesty, of the supremacy, of the complexity of Almighty God. And as we consider the unchanging nature of Jesus, who is God, the one who is the Son in and with the Father, the one through whom we can know God, and that there is no one who can stand alongside him, there's no one who is his equal or can take his place, there should be a sense in which you should be thinking, I don't fully understand who Jesus is. 
The truth is, you cannot completely grasp the magnitude of Christ. So it's not surprising that there's been many attempts down through the years to water down the great distinctives of the Christian faith, such as the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God come to us. But perhaps the question for us this morning is how do we apply this to our lives this Christmas time as we consider Jesus? First thing is this, I think. You need to accept the mystery of Jesus Christ. Since Jesus Christ is one with God and is God, he shares the infinite and the limitlessness of God. But this does not mean that you cannot claim to know him. You can. I know many in this room have, know what it is to have that relationship with Jesus, to know his love and to love him. But it does mean that you do not have an exhaustive knowledge of him. Which is why one of John's concerns in his gospel is that even though you can know him and love Jesus personally, yet there is always always more to know, more to experience. And Jesus, he cannot be tidied away into a little box in our brains and just brought out at our own convenience. No, he is God. He is Lord of all. He cannot be contained. Second thing we need to apply, you need to accept the centrality of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is God himself come to us. He must always be at the center of our approach to God. Your thinking about God. Your relationship to God. John 14 verse 6. Jesus answered. I am the way. The truth. And the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Third, you need to accept the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shares the nature of God, so you are called to worship him forever. Obey him without hesitation. Love him without reservation. Serve him without interruption. He deserves all the glory forever and forever and forever. And I could keep going on at this. But you get the point. So as you consider Jesus this Christmas season, remember, while he was cradled in Mary's arms as a baby, he was sustaining the existence of this entire universe. While feeding at Mary's breast, he was providing nourishment and rain all over the earth. While learning the trade of carpentry at Joseph's side, he was being worshipped and adored by millions and millions of angels. This man who ate, grew tired, became frustrated, voiced anger, perspired, suffered, cried, was misunderstood, was rejected. This man was also God in need of nothing, in control of everything, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, perfect in every way. He is God who is man, man who is God. Everything that belongs to God, he has. Everything that belongs to humanity, except for sin, he has. 
fully God, yet fully man. Only Christianity confirms this truth about Jesus. In fact, so central is, that, is it that if Christianity is wrong about Jesus, Christianity is wrong about everything. Without Jesus, it has got nothing to say, nothing to give. It's got nothing to offer, no forgiveness to promise, no salvation and no hope. But Jesus is God and Lord of all. And through him, there is hope, there is salvation, there's forgiveness. Through faith in him, you can be saved as you simply receive the complete gift of grace that he paid for you when he gave his life for you on the cross. Jesus saves and he saves fully and completely. The eternal Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, gives life, eternal life. He takes spiritually dead men and women and he breathes spiritual life into them. He takes cold, apathetic Christians and he revives them. Jesus is the Savior of the world. This is the message of Christmas. A message of hope for the world. So how... How do you respond to this? You worship him. <laughs> you worship him. The one is to be worshipped forevermore. This is why we want to consider Jesus. Because when you see him for who he really is, it will change your heart. It will draw you into passionate worship of him. Truth is, Jesus is more glorious than you have ever realized. But most of us settle for a distant, for a comfortable Jesus. But Jesus is God and Lord of all who cannot fully be comprehended. And many of us were happy to, to love him as long as, well, he doesn't expect too much from us. But Jesus, the real Jesus, expects more, so much more. He expects your whole life. He expects your whole love, your sacrificial worship. And he will not settle for anything less. Just stand with me as we bring things to a close. I want to encourage you to consider Jesus. We've been doing that over the last couple of weeks. Asking the question to consider Jesus this Christmas time. I know many of you already Christians, you know what it is to love Jesus, to follow him. But actually it's good to remind ourselves that our hearts would be warmed. That we would truly adore and worship him over this next, this week, next week or two and into a new year. But perhaps you don't know Jesus. Perhaps you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you just to consider him this Christmas time. He is Lord. He's Lord over everything. But actually you need to make him Lord of your life. And through a simple prayer of faith, where you just admit and acknowledge your need for him, you come to him and tell him that you're sorry for your sins. Bible calls it repentance. It means turning from one way, walking away from him and walk towards God instead. 
and then realize that he is the one who can answer. He is the one that you can put your trust in and just invite him to come into your life, into your heart today. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to invite God through his Holy Spirit to come and just speak into your heart. If you want to come and catch me afterwards, come and chat with me. I'd love to sit down and pray with you. Let's just pray over us now. Father, we want to thank you for who you are. Jesus, we want to thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are. God, one God, yet three persons. And yet, Lord, we don't claim for a moment to understand the mystery of how that even works. But Lord, we just, in adoration, just bow before you and say, worthy is your name. The one who is Lord of all. Worthy, worthy is your name. And Lord, we want to just commit ourselves to you. Lord, whether it be the, for the first time ever, maybe we've done it before, but Lord, just want to come back to you and just say, Jesus, we love you. We want to follow you. We want to make you Lord, to make you king of our lives. And we give our hearts to you afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.